0: Hey, everyone, it's Brett Bartholomew, and I hope this finds your week off to a great start. Before you listen to this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you would take the time to leave an iTunes review. Now, here's the thing. We try to keep this podcast sponsor-free. We try to keep it ad-free. You know, we don't make a dime off of it. And so your reviews are how really the podcast spread. So whether it's young coaches, coaches that are a little bit longer in the game, managers, people in different industries, what have you, it's all word of mouth. So those reviews aren't really a glorification thing. It's literally so that the information can find other people like you who may benefit from it. So if you wouldn't mind just taking two to three minutes leaving an iTunes review, I'd really appreciate it. Or just tell five friends about the podcast. Either way, trying to get this information to as many people as possible. And by all means, keep your feedback coming so I can make future shows even better for you. All right, here's today's episode.
1: World-class athletes, great coaches, what do they do
0: when they're at their best? We don't, take no for an we don't take no for an answer We don't take no for an answer We don't take no for an answer Leave no doubt tonight Leave no doubt tonight No doubt We're going to get him on the run, boys Once we get him on the run, we're going to keep him on the run And then we're going to go, 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 go And we're not going to stop until we get across that goal line You kids are probably saying to yourselves, hey, I'm going to go out and I'm going to get the world by the tail and wrap it around and pull it down and put it in my pocket. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Art of Coaching podcast. I'm excited about this one. I get excited about them all, so I really need to, uh, I need to change that intro there. Uh, but this, this one takes me back a bit because we're talking with a good friend of mine, and former athlete Mike Megan and when I say former athlete I don't mean he's not an athlete anymore I mean that's how Mike and I met is I had the the blessing and the opportunity to be able to to work with and train Mike for a period of time and now the roles are kind of reversed Mike's on the podcast and he's schooled me over the past few years as we've had discussions about you know the true definition of of leadership and and how somebody in his situation sees it and the reason Mike has such a unique perspective on this is Mike is a member of the Ranger Regiment. And Mike, how long have you been in?
1: Uh, I have been in the Ranger Regiment for, since June of 2010. So what is that, over over eight years now? So over
0: eight years, I mean, and we're gonna dive into a lot of it on the show, but I imagine within those eight years, that's been filled with a lot of ups, downs, learning experiences, you know, and I think the, the audience, as they get a better feel for your background, I think some of the things we wanna dive into is really, you know, your view from the outside looking in or the inside looking out, however you want to kind of phrase that of what you think that people have been misunderstanding about leadership, whether it's within the military, whether it's within the military, whether it's what you've seen kind of popularized on TV. I mean, you're somebody that every, you know, for that, for that time period, you have put your life on the line, you have put yourself in unique circumstances. And, you know, I'm just always fascinated to see if, If what we see every day and what we hear about is kind of the reality. And obviously, there's some things you're not going to be at liberty to discuss, but um, you've got some interesting stories, and and I definitely don't want you to sell them short. And I think that you're somebody that is absolutely an expert on the area because, I mean, the, the training that you've had to go through, and not only that, the information you've sought out since being a part of the military, the education you're doing now, the many interests you've taken into your life. So, you want to give a brief background and kind of introduce yourself to the audience before we dive in?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And first off, I just want to say thanks for having me on this podcast. It's uh, it's an honor to be here, and I'm glad that uh, we're going to be able to use some of this material to help uh, help some folks out there that might have some questions about this kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, as you introduced, my I'm I'm Mike. Uh, you know, U.S. Army Ranger. Um, been been down here at Fort Benning, Georgia, uh, since 2009, really, when I went to basic training airborne school and then i went to the uh, ranger assessment selection program ended up at third uh, battalion um enjoyed my time there uh, went to ranger school uh, basically the the standard the standard pipeline for everybody um and i've been through a lot of ups and downs in uh, my military career for sure uh, not not just my military career but but in life in general um I also, as you mentioned, the, the former athlete thing, and I don't want, I don't want people to get this twisted. Soldiers are some of the best athletes on the planet. I still consider myself a professional athlete and compared to some of the beasts that live on my block, I, I'm, I'm really not that impressive. Um, but, uh, you know, in, in sports in in the military, in organizations in um, You know, whatever team environment or organizational environment you find yourself in, I think one of the biggest misconceptions, especially in this day and age, um, about leadership is being a leader versus being popular. And in the society that we live in these days, uh, with social media, everything being at, uh, you know, the, the end of your fingertip, basically, I feel like a lot of people get tried in the court of public opinion. Um, rather than with hard analytical facts, and I feel like a lot of people in leadership positions uh, kind of get scared uh, that they're going to be unpopular, so they start. And, and, as opposed to leading, they start um, getting into the muddy waters of a popularity contest. Uh, are you, uh, Brett? You're you're a Game of Thrones fan, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay, so one of my favorite quotes from that show, actually. And, and this kind of sums up, uh, you know, what I'm talking about with leadership versus being popular. Uh, you know, it's the night, the north of the wall. Uh, things are really crappy. You know, you got the Nights Watch there, and uh, that that guy that everybody hates. Uh, I think his name was Commander Thorne or something like that. The old dude is always mean. You know, what I'm talking mm-hmm. about. So he says a line there that really resonates, um, especially it's very applicable. Uh, in in my uh, field with the ranger regiment is uh, he, he turns to John Snow he says hey do you know what leadership is John Snow you know kind of asks him he says leadership is making decisions knowing that every buddy underneath you is going to second guess you and not like you and of course he used more colorful language than that but uh, um, you know basically. That, that's, that really hit home with me because I think there is a, a, a huge imbalance these days between being a leader and making the, the hard right decisions over the easy and, and popular. And uh, I think that's where a lot of people miss the mark.
0: I think that's a good point. I mean, I know even in my field, if you, if you emerge as kind of a leader in this field, it's very quick quickly accompanied with people saying you're now a guru. You know, which I and they use it in not such a uh, harmonious or or complimentary term. It's interesting. You know, if somebody's a a leader or somebody's a right, little bit they, more visible, they're hating, right? Them. Yeah, it's oh, you're a guru. And you brought up one thing that I wanted to address is that goes along with what you said that I think a lot of people misconstrue. But I'd love your opinion on is you know people typically think leadership is about one person, but even going back to that quote that you mentioned. A lot of research out there says it's not about a person or like you know this great man or woman that gives this huge speech and and has to make all these decisions. It's really about how the context, both immediate, direct, indirect, uh, you know the time like that you have to make a decision, the history of the of the place and the environment in which you know certain decisions have been made and and things have happened in the past. Those all interact with each other to create what is eventually called leadership. You know, it's not it's not an action of one person. It's a, it's the people involved, the context, the time, the history, the culture, and and not like the culture of the workplace, but I mean literally the the geographic culture that you're in, the region that you're in. Those are all going to influence leadership, wouldn't you agree? Or do you think it is more singular? Do you oh, think it is just the oh, actions of one
1: man? No, no, absolutely not. It can't be. The, it can't be the actions of one man, because I mean, it's it's kind of a tricky question, but you know, if you're a leader. And, and we're talking about you know team leadership and organizational leadership what what good does it do if I run to the finish line and nobody's with me yeah you know what what good does that do so um you know it's funny the the uh um, you're you're absolutely right uh leadership is a people business it's a people business um it's intrapersonal interpersonal uh relationships that are that are forged one on one, and then uh, you get these this group of individuals to really have a shared vision and a shared goal. Um, and you know, in your book, you talk about uh, the art and science of buy-in and how you foster that with individuals. Well, that that's that's fine. That's very important to do because you need to know your men on an individual level. But here's that uh, going back to that leader versus being popular thing. Leaders aren't always popular. But popular people, and, and, and that's all they care about is popularity, are not leaders. And the reason for that is because...
0: And repeat that, because I think that's an important point. That's an important point. Repeat that just so the audience gets uh, it. I
1: was just saying that, that leaders are not always popular, but somebody who's only concerned with popularity is not a leader. Okay, And what I mean, what I mean by that is you need to know your men on an individual basis. You do. And things do need to be prosecuted on a case by case basis. They do. But here's the distinction. Here's the difference. A person who is worried about being popular and being liked by his subordinates. He'll handle everything on a case by case basis, but there's no foundation. There's no there's no uh, there's no foundational uh, backbone to his organization or team. Right. So,
0: meaning meaning what? Like, give give us an example of what a foundational backbone. Some things could be there. Just so anybody listening, if they feel like, you know, they're trying to figure out exactly what you're talking about, so they can assess where they're at. What would you describe as as key components or examples of a foundational backbone? It's your
1: it's your core principles. It's your core principles of what it is that you're yep. trying to achieve. Uh, your identity, so to speak. You know, if you look across um, organizations. Uh, in the military, out of the military, uh, sports teams. Let's let's go ahead and take the Alabama Crimson Tide, for example, or the New England Patriots, right? Um, they hold themselves accountable to a standard and a um and, and I wanna put this out there, I'm not a Patriots or Tide fan, you know, go dog. But,
0: uh, I was just gonna say, you might want to tell people that you are not uh, you're you're a Georgia boy, so you might want to <laughs> tell people that before they click off the page.
1: I, I am not I am not a Tide fan. I am not a New England Patriots fan, but I respect their process and and that is they have core principles and a foundation that that is un, unwaverable. They have a system and they have a way of going about their processes that bring their players into their fold. They don't change their foundation for players now if you are handling an issue with your subordinates or, or, or peers or you know or even uh, your superiors if you're handling a situation on a case-by-case basis and taking into all the accounts uh, okay where can we meet in the middle the one thing that shouldn't be compromised or can't be wavered upon is a core principle if you have a player or or a soldier or uh a, a co-worker that has violated one of the core principles of what you stand for, then that mu- a price must be paid for that. It has to be. It has to be. No matter how much you like that person or no matter how much uh, you, you want to help that person, if they have violated something for the greater good of the entire team or organization and have violated a core principle, That's like cracking your own foundation at that point of your house. It's like literally jackhammering your own foundation, because all that's going to do is create divisiveness within the ranks of everybody else that you're holding to that standard. So, you know, when when you have conflicts, take it case by case, but you need to measure it against your core principles and your foundation and say, hey, did this guy violate this or did he not? Can I cut him some slack or can I not? And that's what makes great organizations uh well, that's what makes them great. That's what puts them in those positions where they succeed where others fail.
0: Well, and the you know, the thing I want to touch on on that is like you mentioned, they're not always popular. And and one of the things that that creates conflict in organizations is micropolitics. And that's a that's a term that it's interesting. It's a research term I've come across in the past few years where they talk about if we think of macro politics, obviously that's that's, that's what we see at a governmental level, right? We, right? we hear about that every day on the news, you know, on and on and on. Whereas micropolitics are kind of internal power struggles. So you mentioned that good leaders aren't always popular. Within that, what are some ways that you've noticed or that you've heard or you've read or you've studied um, that, that you hear that, you know, somebody trying to kind of get involved in a power struggle with that leader? Maybe that person doesn't feel like they're acknowledged. Maybe they feel they're more competent. Maybe they feel like that leader... You know, got got into that leadership role because of a, you know, I don't know, some sense of localism or nepotism. But what what are some ways that that can affect it? And and have you ever experienced that? And if so, what what are some ways that you've seen that resolve? Because I think a lot of people listening, they're not just involved with sports teams or businesses. You know, a lot of them are in different types of managerial roles and even different industries. And I think we all know that person that has kind of like tried to, I don't know, subvert what we're trying to do. And and how would you how have your lessons and the things that you've experienced, what principles do you have of how to deal with that? How would you deal with that kind of conflict?
1: Well, again, you've gotta you got to take it. You have to take it back to what was the point, what was the venture, and what is the goal? What is the goal of uh, what you're trying to achieve? And uh, like I said, like you said, this could be for sports teams. It could be for military. It could be for businesses. It could be for a damn study group. Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, I started a, a study group. I'm in college right now. Um, With, you know, being 30 years old, I'm about 10 to 12 years older than most of my counterparts. And um, we're in a particularly hard course in uh, Spanish. I actually started a study group because I just got tired of hearing everybody complain about what the professor wasn't doing for them. And I said, well, hey, you know what? If you care about your grade, how about you do something for you? Let's start a study group three days a week and meet in the library. But here's the deal. Uh, If you're late, I'm not waiting for you. Um, If you don't do your homework and you're constantly texting and trying to bum off everybody else for their work, I'm not going to give it to you. And I don't expect anybody else in here to either. Um, You know, uh, that's just a very small micro example of leadership. uh, Another one. And those are the those are the core principles is based on. Do your work. Show up. We'll help you out. But you got to help yourself. I'm not. We're not here to carry you. We're not here to cater to you. We're here to learn collectively. And if you can't get yeah, on I with think that.
0: That's... Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> no, go ahead. Yeah, keep going. Keep going.
1: Well, it's basically just if you can't get on board with that, you know, I'm not going to sit here and cater to you. And and uh, I had some classmates. You know, oh, Mike, you know, he's a you know, prick, I guess. I don't know. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, it it, it didn't matter because. The collective whole of the class, the grade point average uh, started to increase. Everybody's doing better on their tests and stuff like that. And the one or two outliers, had I tried to cater to those one or two outliers, as charismatic as they are, because very often you're going to find, you know, that 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 politician, quote unquote, um, you know, that kind of archetype that you mentioned in your book, you're going to find that kind of person every once in a while, and and they can be a really valuable resource to you. But if they care about their own uh means to their own ends uh more than accomplishing the the, the greater good then you got to cut sling load with that guy um, yeah
0: you know, another, well, that, another that kind of touches on something that weird that that touches just real quick that touches on something that I think you do that stood out exceptionally well even when you were training you know when we, when we first met when we were working together within the group you know you were always very good at <clears throat> getting kind of everybody rallied around I mean you guys were there on on borrowed time, borrowed funding, and some of the other guys kind of got lost in the playground of the performance environment, it was very clear you were there to do work. And and that's another interesting thing I think that audience w- would be interested to know is, again, you think military, that everybody is, is absolutely regimented to the highest level. Everything's neatly structured. Again, it's what we see on TV. It's what we read about in all these books. And I swear, I, I feel like there's been so many books written on military leadership in the Past five years, you you think there were twenty people that shot Bin Laden, um, but, right?
1: Right. That's you know that. it
0: it it only re- it only it only requires one good follower, and that's just the research term for it. Like uh, to do nothing for leadership to fail. So if you don't cut that thread, if you don't meet that conflict head on with creative strategies, because like you mentioned, you'll see different archetypes kind of try to subvert leadership in different ways. Then it's going to poison the well. And I think a lot of times people. They they turn a blind eye to that. I know I have because you want to think the best of people, you know, and you certainly don't want to become a cynic or a skeptic. But it's just a reality. Like if you let something insidious just kind of continue to peck away, peck away, peck away, it's going to erode all the progress you hope to make, not only individually but tactically, you know, as a wider organization.
1: Yeah. No. Without a, without a doubt. Without a doubt. And and uh, you do you do see that. You do see that in the military a lot, unfortunately. Um, I would like to say that, you know, everyone in the military has made it to where they are on the merit of their own work. Um, you know, and but the thing is, is unfortunately, just like in any organization, there does there does exist the popularity contest and the, the schmoozers and the. Oh, man, you're into the you're into the new CrossFit fad. Me, too, all of a sudden. Or, you know, oh, hey, did you see Sergeant Major? He's He's, he's, road biking now. And then, you know, you got 25 guys in Lance Armstrong suits and speed helmets all of a sudden, you know, and last week they weren't even interested in that. Um, you know, and I would say on a micro level, it, it, you know, and I'm glad we're getting into this right now because I, I wanted to address this um, kind of wading into the, to the realm of, of discipline a little bit. If you want to be fit as a leader, of a group, or even your family in in, in the household. Uh, you you first first before you set goals and foundations for for what uh, what the group you want to lead. You need to set them for yourself. You need to set them for yourself. You have to put yourself against your own core principles and your own values, and find out whether or not you. Uh, measure up to them because you can't expect a group to follow you and do the things that you're putting out there if you don't do them yourself. So you need to lay down like, Hey, who am I? What am I about? What what are the things I cherish and value? What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? Where do I want to improve? What do I want to get rid of? And then after you systematically put those in place for yourself, then you may be fit at that point to go ahead and start putting that out there for others.
0: And that's without a doubt, a key thing that I think everybody reads about. But very what I've learned is very few people do. And this is what I mean. You know, so we like our at Art of Coaching, we have an online course. And uh, these courses are created for a lot of like when people reach out and they say, hey, I'm having trouble with this, I'm having trouble with that you know, I learned a long time ago and this was a weakness of mine. Right. And I know you can relate because we've talked about this and this is the kind of person that you are. Um, But a week, uh, something that I didn't realize was a vice because I thought it was a virtue is I used to respond to every single email, Twitter thing, DM, you know, whatever, every media platform. Right. And there's like eight of them now. And I started noticing like it was creating some kind of sense of emotional exhaustion because you're coaching during the week, you're out speaking, doing clinics during the weekend, You know, and then I'm I'm trying to answer these things, especially because I didn't have anybody that kind of gave me that time of day early. But then you know, somebody challenged me, and they're like, "Dude, you're not really helping like you think you are." And I said, "What do you mean? You know, like I'm pretty sure I'm I'm doing everything I can to get you know people at least my take on things, and and if that helps or doesn't, you know. But I'm I'm trying to respond. He goes, "But you're not scaling it. You know, you're not scaling it, and you're just going to keep chipping away at at what you think is." you know, you're chipping away at your energy. And and so we started creating broader resources, right? Courses, things like that, that could answer thousands of people's questions, not just one in a DM. Because plus, if somebody reaches out to me on a DM, that's great. I want to hear from you. But your question could help so many other people and they're never going to see our conversation now, you know? And so my, my point is, is I created these courses and they have these tools in them that make people self-reflect. Like you're talking about, Mike, these goals, like what are you trying to accomplish? Why are you trying to accomplish it? What does it look like if you do, if you don't, like what signs and signals, you know, what drives you all these things. And what I find is literally 98.9% of people that take these courses just watch the videos and never fill out the workbooks ever, ever. And we can track that because we see who downloads it, who doesn't, or people will be like, Hey, I watched the videos. Now what? And I'm like, Oh, like, great. Like, did you fill out the self-evaluation form? Like, I'd love to know a little bit more kind of about you, your goals, what drives you and like where your struggles are. And they're like, oh,
1: yeah, no, I didn't know we had to do that. And
0: it's it's like, why do you think why do you think it is so easy for people to just kind of nod their head and hear Mike Megan, you know, a member of the Rangers say that you've got to define goals and ask yourself really tough questions, but then they'll never put pen to paper. Why do you think that is?
1: Fear. Fear. Paralyzing fear. Fear of what? Fear of yourself, fear of the unknown is what it is. You know, uh, a lot of uh, coaches these days, um, you know, especially and you hear about it almost like every single year. In fact, you um, Maryland's program just got into some trouble. Uh, unfortunately, it's resulting in the death of one of their players uh, talking about, you know, mental, mental toughness and all this other stuff like that. Right. You know, Um And it's really easy to sit back and try to assess mental toughness on somebody else. But the true uh, breakthrough that you're going to have as a leader and as as a person in general is assessing it on yourself. Um, You have to be willing to push outside your comfort zone. Uh, There's a lot of motivational speakers and uh, psychologists that have done a lot of work on the study of a fixed versus growth mindset. Are you familiar with
0: that? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, uh, Dweck and and her colleagues have done some great work on that. Carolyn Dweck.
1: Yep, absolutely. So like the fixed versus the growth mindset, you know, we have uh, the fixed mindset um, shuns failure uh, because they think that, well, you know, this is my left and right. This is where I'm going to stay. This is what I'm good at. And this is what I'm going to continue to prosecute right here. In a growth mindset, you actually Um, embrace failure. You embrace it. Uh, You you seek it. You seek it out because now you are expanding your left and right limits. You are pushing into categories of yourself that you didn't know existed. And I would say that to anybody who wants to take on a growth mindset and really push to a new threshold of yourself, and, and again, you can apply this to your or people in your group after you've done it to yourself uh, first is attack what scares you, attack it, go after it, write down what you are not good at and go after it, go attack it, go see how it shakes out and then assess it uh, after, you know, did you succeed, did you not, why? Okay, then then re-attack it until you get the results that you're looking for. That is mental toughness, that is mental toughness. That's what the essence of it is. And it's it's not about who's the best at working out. It's not about, you know, uh, doing a bunch of stupid stuff, um, you know, like, oh, well, we're going to roll on this field for 400 yards because it's going to make us mentally tough. You know, no, that's not that's not exactly what it's about. You know, there are physical things that could scare you. There are intellectual things that could scare you. There are tangible and intangible things that could scare you. Systematically seek them out and go push the failure. There's, um, there's a book written by a gentleman named Simon Sinek, which is called Leaders Eat Last. It's a great read. I recommend it. Um, but anyway, he, he talks about an anecdote where this, this guy was a uh, rower in college, which is a very physically taxing sport as uh, anybody who's done that would know um and there was a a a gentleman that he would go up against in competitions and no matter what he no matter what he did he couldn't beat this guy he just he was like frustrated tears. he could not beat this guy so one time he asked this gentleman he said hey what what is it about you that makes you so untouchable why can't why are you on just a different plane from everybody else And the gentleman told him, he said, well, when I train uh, twice a week, I put myself into a workout where I know I'm going to fail. I set a goal so lofty and ridiculous, but I still try to get there, but I know I'm going to fail. I push myself to absolute failure at least twice a week. Another great that you hear in sports, uh, Ray Lewis, Hall of Famer. He did the same thing. He said that he would work out until he would fail physically. And uh, and, and that's important to keep in mind for yourself and your training, uh, and for your uh the the, the team you want to lead. Embrace the failure. It's okay. There are times to make mistakes. You want to make your mistakes in training, you want to make your mistakes in preparation. You don't want to have a perfect practice. Okay, everybody talks about these perfect practices and stuff like that. Well, okay. If you ran the script perfectly and everything went just according to plan, exactly perfectly, you didn't get better that day. You learn more after a failure than you do after success. And that that's a fact because the times in my career in the military where I learned the most about myself were the days that I didn't do so hot. And, and, and that is, that's just the truth. Um, there's a, There's something I used to tell my guys, Um, I would tell my my Rangers this. And I also had the uh, pleasure of helping coach an arena football team here in uh, Columbus, Columbus Lions. They actually played for the league championship this year. Unfortunately, we came up just short. But uh, I used to tell them, I said, hey, guys, you know, the things that you are not doing in training. The things that you are unwilling to do in training will become the things that you cannot do on the battlefield or in the football field or whatever field you're on
0: and i think building off of that and i just want to make sure the audience understands mike isn't suggesting you know chase failure in your workout like by training yourself to death or pure exhaustion he's giving an example of what ray lewis and these people have said right and that's that's got to be put into context Mike is talking about do things that challenge you, you know, and I think that's where we've gotten into trouble is within strength and conditioning. We've seen this kind of enculturation. And what I mean by enculturation is there's been this gradual like acquisition of characteristics by, by strength coaches thinking that mental toughness is about burying kids, that it's about doing all these things to make them harder. Like as if working out is going to create mental toughness you know what creates mental toughness is self-awareness. And Mike, you know, and I want your input on this in a minute, but this is how I take what you're, what you're talking about and things that we've talked about in the past. You, you, people are not filling out, people are not doing deep self-analysis because they have a fear of, of what they're going to find, like Mike talked about. And having tremendous self-awareness of knowing how hard you'll push yourself in any endeavor is is resilience at its purest? I don't even know if mental toughness is the right word for it. I still think that's a fairly ambiguous term and and there's a lot of research out there and and we could go through some of that on another episode. but you know the the whole point of this is you know making sure that you know you're not doing something because you think blindly that correlation equals causation, and oh, if I put little Jimmy, Sally, Susie, Tommy you know, through this tough workout, then they're going to come out transformed. That doesn't happen. Like when it happens is reflection. When it happens is knowing what you are like for me, like (laughs) I exercised my way into a hospital at 15 and that didn't make me mentally tough. What made me tough was the isolation of being in that hospital and figuring out who the hell I was and what I wanted out of life and trying to get some clarity there. So you know, I just want to make sure nobody misconstrues that. Like, you know, that that self-awareness is what Mike is talking about with the fear. Am I right on that, Mike, or am I completely off base?
1: No, yeah. No, you 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 know, you've hit it right on the head. Um and I'm glad you, that you use the, the term resilience instead of mental toughness. I, I I agree with that. Resilience. Um resilience in everything. You know. And um there are you know, what the body will go where the mind wants it to go. Uh your your body is <laughs> Is capable of doing things uh, far beyond what you think is capable. When you get that mind in line with it, um, you know the the applications and the possibilities are just about limitless. Um, and 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 it's resilience that that's that's really yes, absolutely, you hit it on the head. And and like I said, bringing this back to being a leader, you know, um, if you're unwilling to do that to yourself, then what right do you have? to put that on your, your people. What right do you have at that point? You don't. That's the answer. You don't. Um, you should be leading from the front, leading by example. That's, that's, that's one of the core principles of the Ranger Regiment. Um, you lead from the front, you lead by example. If you're not right, then, you know, you can't ask, you cannot ask your men to do the things that you are requiring of them. you you can't expect them to follow you. And I will say humbly that I have been that person before who did not put myself uh, against my own core principles and expected people to follow me and it it ended disastrously. And that's something that I'm not proud of it, but that's one of the things like if I'm really talking about what scares me, if I'm really talking about that, I have to admit that to myself too. I have not always been The strong person that I should have been.
0: That's something that I think stood out about you as well as how much you know. You've already made it into one of the most physically, mentally demanding type of elite units in the world, and yet you still never stopped investing in your continuing education. I mean, every time I talk to you, you're either taking a new course, you know, reading a new book, you know, you 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 always invest in continuing development. And I think that's an interesting thing too with uh, leaders is they'll often get into a position and then they'll start talking to people that maybe they mentor and they'll say, Hey, this is the route, this is the path, or they'll put certain things or expectations in their way. But then there's a lot of people that kind of quit investing. You know, maybe they invest still in in books every now and then a five 99 book on Amazon or, you know, they'll go to a conference on a topic they're familiar with, and and I'm being challenging with the strength and conditioning audience because I do think that, I mean, we'll hit SNC conferences again, 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 but not very many people ever go to other conferences, you know. And uh, getting out when it, we're talking about getting out of our comfort zone, what role has that even played in your continuing education or development? Like, what are books you've read, or clinics you've gone to, or things you've done that are way, way, way outside of your? immediate sphere of influence but brought back tremendous learnings is there anything that you can think of
1: yeah absolutely i mean you know uh well one just the just the decision to first off um i have been enlisted my entire career and uh you know i i went to college uh, back in first back in 2006 at florida international university Uh went there for the wrong reasons went there to try to play football. I didn't focus on my studies very much. It wasn't that I was stupid. It just, I was unfocused. I was lazy, uh, very lazy. Um, I was there for the wrong reasons. I had no core principles or foundations that I was measuring myself against. I was just a a leaf in the wind, if you will. And it didn't work out for me very well. Um, And then I, you know, continued to kind of putz my way through college for another couple of years join the military. And- I've had success. Um, I had success in my career, uh, early, um, and I've had, I've, you know, still had success in my career, but, you know, I had a talent for it, um, on the enlisted side of things, but.
0: For what in particular, Mike, what, what in particular did you have a talent for? And like, when you, when you say you've had success, can you define what, like, how did you recognize that? How does somebody listening know when, when they found success what did that look like to you well
1: it, you know i just took to the military very naturally i come from a long line of military uh, personnel in my family my mother is is still in she's been in for over 3 decades um i my great grandfather's one of the first green berets uh, ever uh, he was a B saw guy back in vietnam did 35 years uh, one of the hardest men uh, that you'd ever meet but you wouldn't know it because he was so humble um you know just so so that it's it's in my blood that was in my blood it was in my DNA um and so you know I when I joined the military I kind of I kind of took to it I got it I got it faster than most of my counterparts and you know I ended up being the uh honor graduate at basic training I ended up being the honor graduate at Ranger Assessment Selection Program and I ended up being the honor graduate of Ranger school um and so uh, I just kind of had a, a knack for it, but I'll, I'll tell you this right now: I wasn't. <laughs> when we're talking about like leadership in a group and stuff like that, I, I definitely didn't get those honor graduates because I was like the most savvy guy in the world, or I was like you know Soldier of Fortune, Audie Murphy, total badass or anything like that. I was just the guy that, when it was when it was time to to get going, and especially in these schools that you know they suck. I mean they're not they're not fun there's nothing really fun about it i always kind of try to find a way to make light of the situation or kind of kind of make things funny um you know it, morale is an incredible uh incredible tool to put in your uh, in your tool shed if you will um you know and you can't ever uh you can't ever downplay the importance of morale so when something was happening that was just crappy you know, i I was always able to kind of look at it and find some humor in the situation and and what I found was people were following me they were they would laugh and and we would just do it. we would do it together um do it with me you know not not so much follow me but do it with me and um that that basically that's what I'm talking about with the success that I had uh or I've had in the military, but as far as pushing outside my comfort zone, so i you know i I could stay enlisted. And continue to bounce around from trade off job to trade off job as an instructor, or you know maybe go take platoon sergeant time in in the conventional army. But instead, you know, I sat down with my wife Brooke, who's been an incredible inspiration to me, and uh, I sat down. I said, "Honey, you know, I think I want to try something else. I think I want to take a swing at my education again, even though it's been over a decade since I've been in a college classroom." Um, and that was intimidating. I want to take a swing at that. And furthermore, I also want to submit a packet for ROTC in college and go green to gold and become an officer and finish the second half of my career as an officer for a new challenge. And, and all of that's been a big, very big leap of faith and a very big push outside my comfort zone, but I'm, I'm willing to do it. Um, and I got to give a lot of credit to the Ranger Regiment and my leadership as well, because they really have supported me on this. And and said, hey, you know what? You do have the potential to do that. And I think you have been shortchanging yourself lately. And why don't you just take a swing at it and go? Just go, man. Take a swing.
0: So when you talked about, and I love the way you worded this, you said it wasn't so much that people followed me, but they did it with me. I get asked quite a bit because obviously the the title of my book has buy-in in in it. People say, well, how do you, what does buy-in look like? How do you assess it? And I think it's a little bit of an interesting question because, um, a lot of times people ask that as if buy-in is, is easily visible as let's say we're trying to achieve hypertrophy, right, within our training. Well, that's a physical adaptation, right? We can see hypertrophic gains. Maybe at first not, you know, unless you're uh, you know, we we have a muscle, you know, cell under the microscope and, and tissue under the microscope, uh, and and we're looking at it at a cellular level. But eventually you know if somebody's been doing something that results in <laughs> physiological or, or muscular hypertrophy, because we see increases in lean body mass. And, and you can see that it's tangible. You could even feel it with buy-in people tend to be skeptical. Yeah. You, you,
1: you, feel it. You, you feel buy-in. it before you see it. Yeah. You always
0: and with buy-in it. people tend to be skeptical because they want to see it. It's almost like it's Santa Claus. They want to be like, well, I don't know what that means. And, you know, we talk about, well, you know, buy-in the anatomy of that is commitment and trust, and those together form a partnership. So, When you have this dyadic relationship, this partnership where two people are working synchronously and they're not, somebody's not doing something from a task cohesion standpoint, just because you told them to do it, but also a relation uh, cohesion standpoint or outcome where they're doing it because they feel good about you and the ask, you know, is that how you'd view buy-in or how do you, how would you assess it? Or, you know, what, what do you think is the anatomy of that? How do you know if somebody's bought in to kind of you know, the, the path you're trying to get them to follow or the changes you're trying to make, or even if you're, how, how do you know if you're bought into something? Cause I'm sure there's times people have tried to like discuss something with you and, and you're inherently skeptical. Uh, you know, w- what does that mean and look like to you, if that makes sense?
1: Well, I mean, that's buy-in is, is kind of an intangible, um, in and of itself. Now there are physical ways it manifests, but I would say that, you know, if you're bought in, if you are systematically doing the things to accomplish said goal, you know, if you are really doing them. I think a lot of times you'll hear people say, "Ah, oh man, you know, I really should start my education again. I, re- I really want to start my education again. Well, have you applied? Have you gotten any of the literature on the school that you may want to attend? Have you done any of these yeah. things?" Uh, You know, I was I was sitting on a soldier of the month board a couple of years ago at a sergeant major. Um, Great guy. You know, I I didn't get the rights to really use his name, so I'm not going to say, but let's just call him sergeant major D. Um, I was sitting on his board and uh, he asked me to tell him a little bit about myself. And so I'm giving him all the dog and pony answers, talking about wanting to continue my education. He goes, where are you on that? And I said, well, um, I haven't, uh, I haven't. And he goes, you haven't done shit, have you? I was like, well, uh, no, Sergeant Major, I haven't. he goes, don't sit here and tell me things you think I want to hear. He said, if you're not doing these things, then don't even tell me. He said, that just, that just makes you full of crap. He was like, don't, don't do it. Don't tell me things you think I want to hear. Tell me about yourself. He goes, because I'll tell you something. He said, if you're not systematically pursuing the things that you say you want to do, then you don't really want to do them. And you can see that in yourself. You can see that in the people that you're trying to lead as well. Um, I think that's how you assess buy-in. Lip service is not enough. Even doing the exercises is not enough. You know, if if we're talking about like strength coaching or something like that, it's is the are the guys taking the cold plunge? Are they uh, getting the nutrition in? Are they doing the prehab and rehab on their own without having to really be told or like policed up at every turn? I think that's how you really assess Is, is this guy really bought into this? Is he systematically doing the things that uh, you're you're preaching and is and is he self-starting them as well? And I think that's how you really assess somebody's kind of buy-in on what you can see, um, because there's a lot of lip service out there. You'll you'll have somebody tell you you know oh yeah man i think that's a great idea and then literally at every turn they're doing something that either is not in line with what was put out or or even worse they're doing things to subvert what it is that that uh, was put out
0: there and there's a lot to chew into there like especially when you're saying like what does it look like in the the physical manifestations and i love how the guy put you he put you on kind of the (laughs) on the stake there. Because again, I, I think that there's hypocrisy amongst leaders. I think that there is a lot of people that say things, you and and I'm not, you know, I used to be inherently skeptical of, of social media. I don't really give it much thought anymore about like it being the demon that everybody makes it out to be, because I'm a big believer in whether it's social media, email, video, whatever, like it's not the medium, it's the messenger, right? So, but what what drives me nuts sometimes about the self-image that some people try to project on social media is they want to be perceived as a leader yet everything they post is really safe meaning they know that they're going to post it and nobody's going to disagree with it you know it's it's leadership's do the right things and care about the right people or you know oh yeah no without a doubt doing things the right way and and making sure people know you care is and it's like dude you're not saying anything you know and sorry, dudes in a collective yeah. term there. We live in a politically correct society. So both male and female, as well as non-binaries can be dudes in, in the context in which I'm using it. That um, said tongue in cheek, of course, but like, just like, don't, when you try to say something to everyone, you're saying nothing to anybody and, and certainly nothing of use. And that goes back to what you said. Do you think that's still fear? Do you think people are scared to they inherently want to please everybody because it builds their own self image of the leader they want to be, but in reality, they don't know who they are.
1: Yeah. Without a doubt. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of people, especially on social media platforms, you know, unfortunately I'm part of the rigmarole, just like every, like, I don't know how many ever more, more people there are 4 billion on the planet uh, that are probably on social media of the what six or 7 billion. Um, you know, yeah, I, I think a lot of people are more concerned with, well, how many likes or loves am I going to get on this right now, as opposed to, um, you know, putting something out there that may challenge uh, someone or someone's uh, opinions or the status quo of things, if you will. Um, you know, for me, I I learned very quickly <laughs> on social media, and this is something that I'm going to share with my my kids because we live in a technology technologically progressive society uh, and it's not going to stop or slow down for anybody so my kids are going to end up in this even though you know my daughter's two she's already you know watching movies on her has tablet Instagram account like that unfortunately, <laughs> yeah probably verified probably, probably verified smartphone <laughs> smart <laughs> probably has a smartphone I don't even know about but uh the uh but the thing is is you know something I want to share with them is hey you know you can put out what you what you put out there. Communications irreversible. Once you put it out there, it's out there and it, it, you can delete it, but you put it out there. It's out there. Um, and the thing is, is you better be ready to accept the the consequences or the uh, the opposition of what it is you say. Um, you know, you you have to be ready to unfortunately. Well, you know, it's it, it, a lot of people will put something on there and they can't go five seconds without somebody attacking it. I feel like I live like that almost all the time. Uh, somebody's got some fricking opinion about something or other, you know, every time I put something up, you know, I could say the sky's blue and somebody wants to argue. How about you?
0: Hey, have have a great Wednesday. Well, it's Thursday in Australia. (laughs) Oh, okay. Got it. Thanks.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thanks. I appreciate it. Awesome. You really brought something to the conversation here. Um, but you know, that's yeah, exactly. And I think that, uh, If you're going to play it safe, um, you know, as as a leader or somebody who's trying to bring some kind of you know progressive mindset to to an industry, if you're going to play it safe, uh, people are going to see right through that. People are going to see that there's not any real substance here, and eventually, you're going to lose that credibility um, that you were trying to garner in the first. I think
0: it does take a while, though, Mike.
1: No, absolutely no. I
0: I don't mean to interrupt, but I do. I I think I think I think for a while, like people pleasers actually make. And and I got to say this again, I don't think social media is a problem. There are plenty of people, there are plenty of issues in the world without social media. I think social media has made things more visible, right? Whether like that's people coming on and being hucksters or doing dumb things or whatever. But I think that again, it's not the medium, it's the messenger. Like you've got to put something out there. And I think the problem is, is that people that are people pleasers or they are the ones that are just going to share inspirational quotes or play it safe messages and all that. I think they get a lot of traction at first and that kind of bolsters their self-belief. But I I, I think eventually it's the ones that are truly discerning and the high level people that are kind of saying, all right, dude, like, are you going to tell me something here? Or like, are we just kind of trading fortune cookie responses? Like, give me something. You know, there's, it's easier to preach what you practice when you practice what you're actually preaching. And I think that's hard to, that's hard for, certain people to grasp like it's okay if somebody gets on social media and says something that they don't agree with now you have the choice whether you want to respond and get in some debate you know with that person and i used to be guilty of that i'd fire back as if it was like an m m diss track you know and now i look at that and i'm like that's bait you know if, if it's an actual discussion that they want to have and they're bringing some good points welcome that oh day, yeah right but there are some people that really don't want that they just, they just want to say oh thanks uh, well, listen, like, uh, you know, I've learned from everybody that's smarter than me and and I deflect and I deflect. And that's great to be humble, but you can even be prideful in being humble and you're still not saying anything. So like, what, what do you think the timestamp is on that? Like, how how have you been able to tell, let's say you met somebody, Mike, that seemed to check all the right boxes, right? Man, like this person has switched on, they're locked in. What were some things that you started to notice where you're like, oh, maybe this person isn't, who I, who I thought they were like, what are some signs people can look at if they, if they are you know, if they want to be able to spot people that are kind of inauthentic or maybe just playing it safe and kind of leading them down a path to nowhere. What, what are some signs that, that you've seen?
1: Well, I mean, I take it back to my opening statement. I think for anybody that, you know, wants to follow uh, a said person and really wants to evaluate whether or not there's any substance there, maybe you ask the question, Hey, what is your foundation? What are your principles? What are they exactly? And if they can't give you a response to that in and of itself, then there's probably not too much substance there. You know, um, sure there's a lot of great self-help and coffee shop psychology out there, uh, but if it's not measured against any kind of real foundation, it's like building a damn house on sand, you know, on a damn sand dune. Like, it's, it's but don't gonna... you think
0: they'll tell you those? They'll, don't you think they'll be like, "Oh, God, faith, family"? Uh, you know, don't you think somebody that's that's almost kind of fake to a degree is going to be able to rattle off principles that sound good?
1: Well, that's that's part two. Part two is if they give you one, then how about you measure it as well? Is what they're saying, is what they're doing, measuring up with what it is that they said in the first place? And I can tell you personally, when I have lost faith in leaders in the past has been when they have come in and preached something uh, like professionalism or, or something or, or something of that sort um, and then turned right around and violated every principle that they were putting out there. And that's where you kind of lose me. And then not only not only have, has that happened with leaders I've had in the past, but then you turn around and you call them on it and then they don't want to own up to it. And then that just is the ultimate full shit fugazi moment for me.
0: Yeah, I think that's helpful. I mean, I think that being able social media is not going to go anywhere and I don't think anybody go gets anywhere by whining about it I think it's up to us to become a little bit more discerning about those things and and stack it up against what we believe to be a true profile of of not just leadership but again does that person seem self-aware I I personally don't trust anybody that doesn't ever talk about failures that they've experienced not not failures of Steve Jobs not failures of some other like Silicon Valley whiz or CEO like that, that stuff that I think has been interesting and a bit frustrating, in my opinion, in leadership type books is they all kind of seem a little bit, you know, redundant, like, hey, open up with a story. It's usually of a famous person, either, you know, present, you know, past or historical talk about how they were lovable losers at first, then they found their way. And now you too can do this, you know, and um, it doesn't really talk about I, I feel like there's just this lack of leaders who are willing to say, hey, this is what it means to be vulnerable. These are areas where I am inherently just brutally deficient, but this is kind of what I do to attack those things. Um, and you know what? I may never get better at those things, but it's a day to day struggle. And this is kind of what it looks like. Or some of these things that I thought I was really bad at at first ended up being a gift. Like I used to think that, you know, my mind erases. And anybody that's been around me, not listened to my podcast or read my book, but actually been around me in a lot of different scenarios, I mean, knows how how quickly I can kind of go from one thing to the next. I'm nowhere near as cool as Tony Stark, but my mind definitely is almost like as ADD as Robert Downey's is in those movies. But I, I've, I have learned that when, <laughs> if I wasn't like that, I don't think I'd see the interconnectedness between things that I do because I'm always kind of researching or absorbing so many different things. And then I pair that with my practice. And I used to think, man, like, why can't I just be more organized? You know, I have friends that, you know, everything from their Google drive to their Dropbox drop box, to their desk, to their whole life, just their, their house, everything's like organized. Like everything I do is kind of just this organized chaos. And then I started to get to an age where I'm like, this works for me, you know, and I'm not gonna like, I'm not gonna throw this away just because I read in a book that some people don't have a cluttered desk or some people don't have this, like you've got to find you. So that's, well, and that's what I was going to ask My desk right now as we start to close this out, one of the, one of the final questions I want to ask you, Mike, is what is something that you used to think was a really big weakness of yours? something that you were even, I'll go as far as saying like dreadfully insecure about, but now you're like, no, I think this is what gives me an edge. I think this is kind of what, what makes me great. What is that thing for you? And if you don't know, like, you know, that, that's fine. I know I'm putting you on the spot, but what is that?
1: Um, something that in my professional life that was a, you know, like a big um, kind of fear or like back set to myself where it eroded my confidence uh, from time to time was, believe it or not, my my image, my, my physical image. Um, you know, the Ranger Regiment <laughs> is a place where. Uh, you know, your average size of a um an operator uh in the in the ranger regiment is about five foot nine, five ten, about hundred and eighty-five pounds, wiry, uh, you know, cut up, uh, you know, kind of muscular build kind of guys, you know, guys that you would expect to see doing, you know, there's like those crossfits uh in competitions or tough mutters or stuff like that. And then you got me, you got old Big Meech. Uh, that's my nickname around the battalion, Big Meech, It was old uh, squad leader. Yeah, Big Meach. They, they gave you that one. Um, no, I'm I'm six foot one, two hundred and fifty five pounds. I'm way outside. But
0: yeah, Mike, Mike looks like he eats the souls of former Genghis Khan warriors for a living. Like that's that's not an embellishment. And for anybody, like I travel a lot. I always, I, I joke, I'm like, big Meech is watching the house. Like, don't think you're going over there. But like, you were absolutely right, man. Like, but you know what? I'll say this and I'm not, I want you to finish. But I, before I worked with tactical, you know, like tactical athletes or operators or even Rangers, like when I saw you, I was like, yep, that's what I would imagine an Army Ranger would look like because you look like a damn action figure. So keep, keep going on that. But I actually would have thought the Ranger Regiment and people like that and special forces. And I imagine there's some listeners are as well before, before they worked with that population or before they had met a lot. I I figured you were the standard.
1: Right. No. And yeah, that is a huge misconception out there because Hollywood pushes a lot of, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger walking through the jungle with no water source for six days. And looks like he just did a pump <laughs> off the friggin' screen and, you know, shooting from the hip and all that, all that crap like that. But that that's really not the, that's not the norm. And that's really not the standard, uh, in the special ops community. Like most of your guys are extremely strong for their size, well-conditioned, um, you know, endurance, power endurance kind of guys. Um, and they are beasts. They don't look like it, some of them, but that they, but they really are beasts. And the thing that I struggled with, you know, in the past is now I'd have guys, uh, you know, look at me like, well, why don't you look like everybody else? You know? And And for a a while, you know, I even got to the point where I was like (sighs) eating, you know, like 1800 calories a day, which is way too low for me. And, uh, you know, trying to physically perform and stuff like that. And, you know, just because I had this this image that I was like, well, I don't look like everybody else. And if I don't look like everybody else, I can't perform like everybody else. And Finally, I just had to be like, you know what? Screw it, dude. I'm Big Meach. That's who I am. That's who I'm always going to be. And if I am 250 pounds and I can keep up with everybody else and hump my weight and, and get things done, so what if a big guy can get it done? So what? So what? I could be a trendsetter. I could be a mold breaker. I don't really care. I embraced it. You know, I didn't hop on the fads of training like everybody else did and the, the damn bicycle crew and shit like that, like I mentioned earlier. And I was—I I had to be true to myself at the end of the day. Now still have to perform the standard like everybody else. But, you know, the the image thing, that's something I just had to finally just accept and get and get over, man. Maybe I'm not going to be chiseled like Chris Hemsworth, but I don't really give a shit because Chris Hemsworth can't do what I did
0: yeah, And I think there's a lot of powerful messages there for anybody listening, male or female. I mean, even though this doesn't necessarily go directly to like body image issues, but you know, there there is an aspect of that. And, you know, I'm I used to be ashamed talking about it, but when I was fourteen, fifteen, you know, if if you've read my book, I talk about I, you know, I I basically had an exercise and eating disorder, which were manifestations of of me really dealing with depression. You know, a lot of friends getting into drugs and and me, you know, I, I just had a lot of friend people that I thought were friends and they ended up being super flaky and the exact opposite of the person I knew I wanted to be. So I kind of took that Maya Angelou quote a little too literally, like, be the change you want to see in the world. And I just took commitment and like, so, Like I I wanted to be everything I wish, like, I wanted to be this kind of perfect ideal, right? So sports were really competitive. I'd start training nonstop. Every magazine said, eat low fat, low carb, you know? And so I do both, you know, <laughs> whatever, like muscle and fitness and men's health did, like Next thing you know, I'm like working out four times a day, and you know, three to four times a day. I'm like, I think my breakfast was like egg beaters and turkey bacon, and I'm 14, you know. And it just can take you down to such a like trying to be this <laughs> yeah. this ideal, whatever that is. And and what I learned when I was hospitalized is very few people it, did it relate to them wanting to be thinner or food or whatever. I mean, I, I think I've talked about this before, but there are a lot of people that you know use that as just a form of control in their life, no different than anybody who uses drugs or alcohol or or anything. But again, like people miss the boat that, that those experiences create leadership principles because it's only through cracks like where light gets through, right? And until you've kind of been to the bottom or kind of tried to go a route that maybe turned toxic, that you start to find what you're really about. I mean, that's that's why they call it learning. Somebody can't learn something they haven't tried and failed at. So like learning and leadership go hand in hand. So don't tell people. Oh, I was successful at this, or this is how I did it. People don't want to know that. People want to know what did your own blood taste like, and how did you know that it actually was blood? Metaphorically speaking, of course. Like, what did that failure taste and feel like, Mike? As we wrap up, and you've given so many awesome, kind of, uh, you know, bits. We're definitely going to get you on for a round two. Um, I'm going to be a little selfish with with this next question I ask, meaning that I think that this is a message that hopefully sport coaches need to hear. I think strength coaches need to hear. Uh, athletic directors, I don't care if you lo- like run the local Marriott, you know, Fairfield and two managers, but what is, what is something you would tell people at the highest levels, you know, like you have got to get this right about leadership and mental toughness, or you've got to quit doing this. Like whether it is, you know, you've got to stop the extremism around it, or you've got to quit treating things like the military because the military is a different beast. What is something that you could say that you think would make, you know, a huge impact in how people have misperceived the extremism around mental toughness, leadership or anything we've talked about today?
1: Well, again, thanks for having me on. Dude. I really appreciate it. Um, I would say this is kind of the, the, the final quote. Um, you, you for whatever organization you're a part of or, or whatever Whatever you're trying to be a leader of, you have to assess it for what it is, first off, uh, what it is and what setting you're in, what your goals are. So, you know, if <laughs> if you're if you are, you know, coaching a peewee football team, you don't need to treat it like the Ranger Regiment. It's not. You're not forging kids for combat here. <laughs> um, you are your coach. You're trying to teach kids the love of the game and teach them how to, how to play the right way. And so what I would say is if you want to instill mental resilience in your players and then that's the kind of identity you want how about you look at forging or and I, I'm sorry players employees anybody why don't you look at forging these people who are under your care to be better people period like take a look at what they're doing in their lives, and where they're coming from, and the kind of inputs they're getting at home, their backgrounds. Learn about them. Learn what's going on with them. Ask them their fears. Ask them their aspirations. Share yours with them, and then try to find something that you can apply to about you know whatever venture that you guys are going off on together, whether it's winning a championship or uh, upping profits for the quarter. Uh, find something that you can apply about work that could that can help them uh, in their personal life. Find something that you are trying to preach professionally that they can apply to their lives at home to try to try to give them a little bit more uh, uh, peace in their own lives and try to help them in their in their own personal situations as well. Um, you know, goals are important. But don't get so lost in your goal itself that you lose everybody that you, that you wanted to get there.
0: I think that's perfect. I think that's absolutely start, start with the person, start with the self-reflection, quit trying to think that, you know, you're molding these people for combat and you're taking that, you're listening live direct to, well, maybe not live by the time you hear this. this we're recording this a day after Veterans Day appropriately, but you're hearing this from somebody who's been in combat. You're hearing from somebody that studied that and you need to understand the difference not only for your own sake as a leader in your longevity but more importantly for the for the sake of the people that you lead. Big Meech, I want to appreciate you. I want to thank you again for coming on, man. If 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 folks want to reach out to you, what's the best way? And and I'll be sure to include it in the show notes, so don't worry about, you know, if you feel like you need to spell it or anything. Anybody listening, go to go to the show notes if you want to reach out to Mike and please be respectful of his time. Know that, you know, he's a busy guy just like anybody else and so but but how do you prefer people to reach out to you if they have questions, Big Mike? Uh,
1: I have an email address. It's BigMegan at gmail dot com. It's just all one word. Um, that would probably be easiest. Um, that's my civilian email, obviously.
0: Uh, <laughs> I want to congratulate you on having an email address, by the way. I ha- I have an email address. Whoa. Oh yeah, that's oh, awesome, yeah. Cut, Mike. I'm glad that I don't have to communicate cutting, through smoke cutting signals
1: Cutting edge anymore. stuff. Cutting edge stuff. Let's see.
0: Yeah, that, that would be, uh, I found gmail it's good <laughs> news please please reach out to me on the google yeah I definitely
1: made that uh that 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 email handle uh, when I was 21 also so you know don't don't judge me for the uh, address but that that's what it is um you know and if anybody does have any questions or anything like that uh that you know or, or just comments or even critiques or criticisms anything it's just open you know you go ahead and send it to me and uh, I'll try to get back to you as soon as I can and thank you again Brad uh,
0: no it's my pleasure and thanks for your service thanks for your friendship. I know I speak for everybody when i when I definitely say thank you for your service. There's nothing we can ever do to repay you for that and I know everybody in the the armed forces kind of brushes that off and everything, but it's people like you that allow us to do to to do things like this so thank you and and we'll be in touch soon i i
1: would I would just real quick I would like to say thank you to the people listening. I would like to say thank you to you and I'd like to say thank you to the American people for um, you know their support it's a very different uh, you know any political divisions aside, whatever it is, it's a very different world for soldiers it is today than it was for people like my grandfather who who came home and were not met with support for things that their country sent them to do and uh, so I appreciate the support here at home, and I think I speak for most veterans uh, and 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 people still serving uh, now that so we appreciate you all just as much.
0: All right, brother. Take care.